0: Hi, this is Bruce Clark, host of Twip Weddings. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the Cashfly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with Cashfly. And now, pay as you go. Start with 2 terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by iFi. Point, shoot, iFi. Try it for free at twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O iFi. Twip is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at freshbooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This is TWiP, episode 440, Reuters hates RAW. For the past several years, the RAW format has represented the best quality that your camera's optics, processor, and sensor could offer, effectively time-shifting the post-processing step to Photoshop, Lightroom, or your software of choice. However, with great power comes great responsibility, and it looks like Reuters wants to take that responsibility and power from photographers. The company has issued a worldwide ban on raw images and insists that photographers submitting imagery to the organization only send in original, unedited JPEGs. Also, Panasonic has made an attempt at adding Lytro-like, shoot first, focus later functionality into some of its Lumix mirrorless cameras. And lastly, students from the University of Missouri block a photographer from taking photos of their protest. We discuss the legalities of this act and the overarching issue of misperceptions around the right to privacy as it applies to photographers and public spaces. It's Monday, November 25th, 2015, and this is TWiP. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. Interesting show for you tonight. Lots of really good news and some not so good news to talk about, but... I get to do the show with my good friend Mr. Doug K from All About the Gear Fame. It's just you and I tonight, Doug. What's going on, man?
1: Oh man, it's it's good to see you, Frederick. It's been a while, it feels I know. like anyway.
0: I know. It feels like last time I saw you your hair was black. Is that
1: true? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's been a long, long time ago. (laughs) It's a couple
0: of years back or so, but what's going on with you? I see you're all decked out in your Hawaiian gear. I bet you just got back from a trip, right? You know, I
1: don't think you've ever seen me in anything other than a Hawaiian shirt. I
0: don't think so. It would be a shock if I saw you in something not patterned.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's freezing cold in the house. My wife wonders why I'm putting on a Hawaiian shirt. I say, well, we're doing twip. I got to have a Hawaiian shirt on.
0: (laughs) It's my, it's my look. Come on.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I just got back from Cuba. Trip, trip number four, workshop number two for me. Wow. How'd it go? Uh, it was great. Great. We had 10 people. We went, uh, spent about half the time in Havana and half the time in two other towns uh, in Cuba. Came away with some great pictures and uh, most important some of the best rum in Cuba. Five Look at bottles that. of this good stuff. Plus, and
0: for you guys that are listening, Doug is holding up a bottle of illegally imported Havana, uh, Havana,
1: Havana Club <laughs> Siete Años, seven-year rum. Nice. I came back with five bottles. It was almost legal, and I had uh, – because we're allowed to bring back – Americans can now bring back up to $100 of tobacco and alcohol products combined – and I had 10 students, some of whom didn't want to bring back rum or cigars. I was able to, uh, let's say, coordinate some <laughs> some mules. <laughs> you're, I was going
0: to say, Doug's Workshop
1: a- a- attendees, a.k.a. mules, right? That's
0: right. <laughs> Very cool. So uh,
1: put it this way, I now have uh, a good stash of rum and a full humidor.
0: Nice. I love it. I-, I get the feeling
1: you're enjoying Cuba. I love it. It's a It's a marvelous place. Some of the best people on the planet and street photography like a candy store.
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Cool, man. And
0: one other thing before we move on to the show, you said while we were in the green room waiting to go live that you went down there with no interchangeable lenses,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. That way, you know, I used to have, I don't know about you, but when I go on a trip the night before, I usually have gear anxiety. You ever have that? (laughs) I've been having gear anxiety for the last month for this Vietnam thing. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, yeah. So at the last minute, it's like, oh man, first of all, do I have a big enough bag? And yeah. maybe I ought to just take one more lens, you know, just yeah. one more lens because you case. never know, right? You
0: never know. Well, You right. never know. Yeah.
1: So I went with a Leica Q, which is a 28 millimeter lens, non-interchangeable. Mm-hmm. I took a Sony RX100 Mark IV, which is a, my little 24 to 70 in a pocket. And for real photography, that was it. And I took my Fuji Instax camera so I can take instant pictures of kids and things like that. But oh, nice. that was it. That was it. And I slept well the night before and I had a great time in Cuba with just that gear.
0: Mm. Ah, See, I keep hearing. See, that's the problem with with knowing too many photographers, because I everyone, you know, everyone has a different perspective on what to bring. Some people are like you and they're like minimalist. You'll have a great time. Forget about Ralph Velasco is the guy that's leading this tour. And he's like, dude, I use one lens the entire time. That's it. You know? And then I talk to other people and I'm like, no, you're going to need this for that. You're going to need this. And of course you need the tripod for long exposures and HDR and, and time-lapse and all that. And then of course you're going to need this, you know, so I'm getting, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm just going to have to roll the dice and just grab a bunch of stuff and run and make do. Well, when you,
1: when you, when you discover that there is no photography really other than street photography, your life will get much simpler interesting (laughs) zen words from doug k for this weekend (laughs) and tripod what's a tripod well you know
0: i thought about that but tripod means i could do video of like like little interviews and stuff while i'm there with the different attendees and you know i don't it's that whole military thing in my head which is like it's better to to need it and not or it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it you know, it's, but I know that's flawed thinking. Bro. <laughs> let's
1: not get into that.
0: <laughs> Don't get into my, th- my flawed thinking. All right, man, let's, uh let's dive right into this show. Story number one is about Reuters. Now this came into me from lots of Twip fans. They emailed this in to me and uh some other Twip hosts also. And I think Doug, you too, you sent this over to me, I right? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it became story number one on the show. And that's about All right, Reuters. number one. Story number one, you made it. Yeah. Like first post. Um, Reuters, you know, the news agency has implemented a new worldwide policy for freelance photographers that bans photos that were processed from raw files. Photographers must now only send photos that were originally saved to their cameras. And I I assume they mean their memory cards as JPEGs. So you have to shoot JPEG if you JPEGs, if you want to be a freelancer for Reuters. Now they're saying just to give the story, story a little bit more, color or bit depth <laughs> they're saying that the announcement was made to the freelance photographers this week and in the form of a short email from their pictures editor and they're saying let's see let me read down in here so the gist of it i read the story they're saying that um they're aiming for photography the highest aesthetic quality um and not are not to artistically or have photographers artistically interpret the news i.e. They kind of want to go back to the days of slide film. Remember, you know, slide mm-hmm. film versus negative film. you could do all this dodging and burning and and interpret the the negative however you wanted to, which is essentially the raw file. with a slide film, you could still print it, but it was kind of locked into the slide. If you gave the slide to someone, that was what you recorded. The, I, i'm I'm kind of I'm kind of split on this, you know, so I understand cameras today can do some amazing things with JPEGs and a lot of people I know, Julio, Shorio, lots of people I know are shooting JPEGs exclusively. They've shunned RAW for the most part, unless they need it for something specific. Um, But I'm of the school of mindset of, you spend all this money on a camera, you want the best that that sensor can offer. I don't want my camera post-processing my images for me. Now that said, I know what Reuters is saying, You know, we don't want you messing with the image to distort the news, but I don't know. What do you think, Doug?
1: I think this is probably drafted by a lawyer who just (laughs) discovered that there's such a thing as a raw file. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I, I I understand the concept. Uh, It makes me, for example, I wonder if they'll allow anybody to crop the image Uh. or they'll say it has to be an uncropped JPEG. Can the photographer who submits the image, crop the JPEG first, apparently they want JPEGs that haven't been processed in any way. And they're looking for something in the EXIF data that will guarantee them that it's straight out of camera because obviously with a JPEG, you can still make some adjustments to it. Right. So apparently they want a straight out of camera, or as we say, an S-O-O-C JPEG. Um, that's that's what it appears to be. I mean, the next thing is they're going to say, you know what? It's like this. Uh, who was it? One of the newspaper chains that says they gave they fired all the photographers and gave the reporters iPhones. Remember that? That was yeah, story I remember that. A, that
0: was I think that was was it the Chicago Chicago? Sometimes? Someone in Chicago, yeah, yeah Tribune
1: yeah. or somebody. Mm-hmm. Anyway, pretty soon that's what we're going to do. Reuters is going to say here. Reuters, one of the great news agencies in the world. I used to work for them a long time ago. Long story, but you know, great news agencies in the world. And they're basically saying, let's just give everybody iPhones. You know, we don't really need photographers anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Uh. I don't know. I, I see this from the photographer's point of view. I would sure like to be able to hand in to submit my work in the best possible form. Uh, I would like them to trust me as a photographer that I'm not going to manipulate the stuff that you hit it right on the head. Yep. This shows a lack of trust because I don't think, I don't think Reuters audience Reuters is an agency. So they sell their images to people who publish newspapers and magazines. They don't publish directly. And, um, I don't think that their customers are that concerned. I think their customers would rather have the best possible images. So, yeah, I don't know. You you
0: You hit it right on the head. It's the trust thing. You know, when I hear that, it's like, you know, it, uh, it it definitely smacks of we don't trust photographers to do a good job post-processing your images or or to not edit the content somehow to be, you know, or that they're going to be somehow disingenuous. I mean, yeah, and I mean, then you bring up another point with JPEGs. What's to stop someone from doing, <laughs> doing processing on a JPEG? I mean, are, is it is it possible to tell? I mean, I don't know. Is it possible to tell that a JPEG has been changed other than,
1: like, is well, it? I don't know. Put it this way, if you edit a JPEG yeah. with something like Lightroom yeah. and make a new JPEG, the the XF data will contain things in there that says, you know, that the image was manipulated on such and such a date at such and such a time. But if you really want to subvert that, there are utilities that will put anything you want in the XF data. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to get around this thing, they can certainly do it. They could shoot raw they could submit a JPEG that, that no one would know didn't come straight out yeah, of
0: camera. Here we go again. So, uh, you know what I feel? This, this is going to be that whole Lance Armstrong thing all over again. So everyone's, everyone is going to be playing by the rules, shooting JPEG as Reuters have asked, and then some superstar photographers that inexplicably get perfect shots every time are going to be turning in post-processed image images with the altered exit data or exit data. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, on the other hand, now you said something in the beginning of this, which is true, which is, you know, because nothing else I said was true. Just, to, it's, just... It, it happens sometimes. It happens, <laughs> and I want to make a point of that. <laughs> but but there, the cameras today are so good, yeah. That the chances are a JPEG is going to be really good. I mean, my mm-hmm. I'm blown away by what my Leica Q can do. My new Sony. Um, Uh, uh, a7r mark ii the jpegs are gorgeous yeah when i get uh when i get the images from the leica q i have never adjusted the color in any of those images and i've had that camera now for four or five months that says a lot the color is terrific so um and in fact my students when we were in cuba i said to everybody who asked and most people didn't ask because they were good photographers better than (laughs) i am but those who wanted help i said you know what just set your camera to automatic just set it to full automatic. Don't set an aperture or a shutter speed or an ISO unless you need to. The fact is the camera's smarter than you are. Yeah. And, you know, any camera made in the last couple of years probably makes damn good JPEGs.
0: All right. Well, let's flip the let flip the script then. So at the beginning I said, you know, if I've been shooting RAW since RAW was available to be shot because it represents the best that your camera can offer. And of course, if I'm gonna spend all this money on a camera, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna put like cheap tires on my Ferrari, you know, and then just to save a few bucks. So if we flip the script and, and go by what you're saying, JPEGs are pretty dang good these days. They're awesome. All right. You could get away with just shooting JPEGs and you'd still be a fantastic photographer. If you know what you're doing, should people is, are the days of raw over now? Should people just be shooting JPEG?
1: Good question. Um, I shoot raw still because Every once in a while, there's something that I want to pull out of the image, uh, mm-hmm. and it's usually uh, it's usually uh, an underexposure, yeah. and I want as much of the dynamic range as I can possibly get. Not so much the color, because like I say, the cameras that I'm using today, I've never had a problem with the color, never had much that I wanted to change, but it was, it was something in the highlights or something in the shadows that I wanted to get out that the JPEG just wasn't going to have. I shoot a lot of high contrast scenes. Where there's bright light and dark shadow in the same scene, and the camera has to decide how to split that difference. I can adjust it with exposure compensation, but there's a lot of times when I want to decide later do I want more of the shadow or more of the highlight? And that's the one reason. And the only difference, the only two differences, the only things that would keep me from shooting raw one is the fact that the files are much larger, Mm -hmm. especially with this 42 megapixel camera that I've got now. It's just outrageous. Uh, The other is That in JPEG only you can often shoot a longer burst of images if you're shooting continuous, um, continuous release.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, but there are a lot of people I know who don't want to do post processing.
0: Good, perfectly
1: good, serious photographers, wedding photographers in particular would love not to have to go through you know two thousand or three thousand images from one wedding because they've got to turn around and do another wedding. So. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for JPEGs.
0: It's like we say, you know, it's not, it, it, it very rarely has to be an or, it could be an and, right? So and JPEG and RAW, are tools in our tool belt that we can use, you don't exclusively have to shoot RAW all the time as some religious rule and you don't have to, you know, forsake RAW and say, I, I only shoot JPEG, therefore I'm a better photographer and then kind of stick to that. You can choose the right one for the right situation. For example, like me going on this trip, Who knows when or if I'll ever get back to Vietnam again, right? So going out there, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to capture raw because who knows what I'm going to capture and if I'm going to want some more detail in that sky. And I'd hate to have it baked into a JPEG and not be able to do that. But in a situation like where I'm out shooting a baseball game or kids things or whatever like that, I don't need all that data. I can flip it to JPEG or even put it on Intelligent Auto or Auto and just have fun. Right, That's so right. yeah, you use the use the camera as a tool and not as a rule.
1: And also, unless, sto- <laughs> unless storage is, I like it. Unless storage is a problem, every modern camera has RAW plus JPEG, so you can shoot both yeah. Yeah. and they throw away one or the other. And if you're using a Fuji camera, you can do JPEG uh, bracketing and you can get three different styles of JPEG. Oh,
0: so I didn't can, know that. Really? Yeah,
1: you could shoot one. You could get for every shot, you could get a black and white JPEG. You could get a vivid color JPEG, you could emulate Velvia in a third JPEG. You now know, you can, can you can you customize those? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has it every one of them is adjustable. Oh. Right. But th- you can't do three JPEGs plus RAW, but you can do RAW plus JPEG, or you can do three different JPEGs. And they they
0: gotta leave some room for improvement in the future, right? Yeah.
1: And and you know, it's one of the things that's really fun to do with Fuji cameras. Every one of the, everyone like the XT1, the X one hundred line all those guys can do that they're great great little cameras
0: that's crazy i want to i want to try that i mean if i had a fuji camera i would try that (laughs) (laughs) one day i may have a fuji camera i like those keep hearing about them from you guys um that's crazy i don't know um you know i i think yeah i'm gonna stick to raw for this this upcoming trip but you know i agree with you on the don't don't be afraid of using the auto modes you know because there was a time when it was like okay Real photographers shoot in aperture priority. You know, Jedi photographers only shoot in manual and, and forsake every other mode on the camera. And newbies and lame people put it in auto, right? right. Well, and, and now the targeting computer is much better
1: than Luke Skywalker. Here's my Leica Q for those who are watching the video. If you can see it, everything is set to auto. Look at that. Auto, auto aperture, auto shutter, auto focus, auto ISO. And I walk around that way. If I need a different shutter speed, I dial it in and put it back. Need a different aperture, I dial it in, but I put it back. Because you talked about the military thing. Be prepared mm-hmm. for anything. Mm-hmm. If you're in auto, you are the most prepared for the most possible situations.
0: You turn your camera on and click, and you nine times out of 10, you'll
1: get the image. That's it.
0: Love it. Love it. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on Reuters. I'm, just, I'm,
1: re- I'm, I'm ready for the flack on this. Doug yeah. said
0: shoot an auto. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. You're not a pro photographer, Doug. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, you're just a photographer that likes to have fun taking pictures. And there that's not pro. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah. So that's Reuters. We'll we'll keep an eye on, on that and see what happens. It's really interesting that they're they're making that move. And I wonder if the other news agencies will follow suit and if this will have a discernible impact on the Reuters images that we see in daily news stories. You know? I wonder. We're gonna start saying, "Wow, your your shots used to used to look so much better, Reuters, and now they all they're all washed out and lame." But,
1: hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a print photograph in for in a new in a news story?
0: Oh, good question. I can't. Remember. When's
1: When's the last time you saw an image that you think might have come from Reuters?
0: Oh wow. Oh well, uh, I have the Reuters app on my iPhone, so. But you, yeah, just listen to that news. You're, you you're, you're absolutely
1: correct. Are you reading newspapers? Are no. You read, are you reading magazines? No, I, 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 get,
0: I get a couple, but not not as yeah. a rule, no. Okay.
1: That's a whole other show. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Look at you, progressive. All right, guys. Let's, uh, let's I say guys. I'm used to having more than one person on the show, Doug. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, Nobody right. wanted to be on with me. It's just me tonight.
0: Yeah, I know. They heard that you were going to come on, and That's everybody right. bailed. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Panasonic introducing new firmware that's going to allow photographers to shoot first and focus later. Kind of like Lightroom. This episode of TWiP is sponsored by iFi. iFi has a brand new vision for helping you manage your photography. Here's how they look at photography workflows, old versus new. The old way, point, shoot, download, organize, backup, die of boredom, then rinse and repeat. The new way, Point, shoot, and iFi. iFi pulls all of your original resolution photos from your digital camera and smartphone and puts them into a single, intelligently organized library. This library is then immediately viewable from all of your devices, and iFi backs up everything to the cloud as well as your desktop automatically. The best thing is you can try it for free today, twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. And we'd like to thank iFi for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, Doug, we're back. Uh, this next story is about Panasonic introducing new firmware that adds Lytro-like focus functionality. So essentially, essentially what this does is, and, and for those folks that are wondering, hey, when can I get this? This is for the GX7, the GX8. And the FZ330 via a firmware update. I'm not sure when this is going to be out. I don't think it's going to be out. I think maybe sometime in December, I want to say, just to be sure. But we'll, we'll put a link to this on, the, uh, on the, the blog post for this episode. But they're calling this new feature Post Focus. And it's kind of an extension of their 4K photo mode, where... You hit, the, you hit a button and instead of just recording a sequence of images, it's going to record a sequence of images, but all at a different focus point and then stack those together. So in the camera later, you can drag your finger or do whatever, however they implement it. You can kind of look through the images to find the one that has the focus that you want. So, you know, say there was five people in a shot, all at different focal planes. You did one of these shots. You could touch on whichever one that you wanted to be in focus and then extract that one. As uh, as you're perfect, or I'm assuming I haven't played with it yet. I'm assuming you could probably also do focus stacking. So you could go in there and pick several images and export those out, and then merge them together in Photoshop to have a focus stacked image with extreme uh, depth of focus in there. Doug, Doug, what do you think about this? You guys, you and Gordon reviewed the GX8, I believe it was. You probably got you, pro- you guys probably reviewed all these on your show. Yeah, but but uh, what do you think of this feature? Yeah, we have
1: we haven't done the FZ three thirty, but we've okay. done the seven and the eight. And uh, I I believe you actually own now a GX eight, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I own both the GX seven and the GX eight. The GX seven is mothballed. I haven't used that thing forever. It's going to go on Amazon. But the GX eight, uh, I got a couple of weeks ago to take to Vietnam with me. And dude, I I'm a I, I sleep with it on the pillow next to me at night. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> And I wake up in a cold sweat because I, you know, I think somebody might have stolen it and I look over it's still there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there, there are a couple of things about this. First of all, Panasonic has really jumped on this 4K video for stills bandwagon. Yeah. And I commend them for that because they've they've not that you can't use any camera that shoots 4K video to make stills, but they've really made it easy. In the GX8. Uh, you can basically just dial in the fact that you want to shoot 4K video for stills. And you get 30 frames a second, eight megapixel still images. And eight megapixels may not sound a lot in this world of 42 and 50 megapixels, but you can make a pretty decent sized print from an eight megapixel still. So they're to be commended for really, not only jumping on the bandwagon, bandwagon, but making this easy to do. Yeah. Uh so that's one thing I really like about the Panasonic Lumix stuff. Um yeah. this idea is uh, is really interesting. It's like you say it's like focus stacking. Um I, I did they, did they call it Lytro like in their press release? I don't know. I didn't read their press release.
0: Uh, I don't, um, I don't, if I, I, don't know think Panasonic, they, I don't they, think they, would, they would do yeah. that. This, but this I, story came to us. We, this is, we're linking to this, the article in digital camera world. Okay. So okay. I'm assuming those guys did that.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's a cool idea. Um, because again, because shooting 4k video relative to stills, the files are quite a bit smaller. If you mm-hmm. think about what it would take to get 30 still images every second. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of times that's going to come in handy. I can imagine using that maybe even in street photography. I can certainly imagine using that in Vietnam. I think you'd really have a good time with that. And yeah, I it won't it- be
0: out by the time I get on the plane, though. That's a problem. And no. I am not updating my firmware in the field. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, take, take, not going to happen.
1: Take both cameras and update one of them.
0: I am bringing there both you go. cameras. There yeah, you go. good point. But
1: I think, I think it's sort of a cool idea. And I, I want to point out one other thing about this. You know, I gave to a TWIP audience in San Jose a presentation about uh, Does Size Matter? Remember that?
0: I remember that, and yeah. And
1: I've given that presentation four or five times. And one of the questions I got the last time was, so what's the real benefit of mirrorless cameras? Mm-hmm. And I said, I had to scratch my head. I said, that's a good question. That's a good question. What it is, is the marriage of the processor and the sensor that you don't get at a DSLR. And I think the fact that these, the, all the mirrorless cameras are doing things that the DSLRs can't even dream of doing, uh, is what the, the real benefits of mirrorless cameras. It's not size anymore. It's not weight because they're getting bigger and heavier, but it's the fact that you can do things like this. That's really cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was looking at this, and I want this functionality. Uh, not, not like I was saying, not at the expense of of updating my firmware either on the trip or even a day before the trip. Not going to happen. Um, if it came out today, a couple of days before the trip, I might do it, but, uh, you know, I was looking at this and, and I agree with you, it's cool. And I was, I, I actually thought about you and that, you know, I don't think it was that particular presentation, but I remember you saying that these kinds of functionalities and these kinds of things that we'll see rolling out over time are things that DSR, DSLRs can only dream of still DSLRs can do a lot of stuff that mirrorless cameras can't do just to, you know, to throw some water on the, the, the people that are getting upset, but the the things that you can do when it's light rays directly to the sensor are with no mirror in there are things like this. Then that said, I'm looking at this feature and reading through all the things that it can do. I was thinking this is the first of all, the geek in me was like, oh, my God, I need this right now. This is this is too cool. But then I was thinking, yeah, this is cool. But how, when am, when am I going to use it? So I was looking forward to this show because I want to get your thoughts. You're Mr. Street Photographer, Mr. Havana, Mr. Hawaii. You're walking around all the time. When would you use this shot specifically in street photography? Like above above just single servo fo- focus or continuous focus or one of those?
1: Well, that's a really good question. There are – I used to shoot some stuff in a burst mode. Obviously, when there's action is when you do that. You know, you'd yeah. fire off – five or eight shots to try and capture the decisive moment. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, more and more, I don't do that. I, I rarely, I, in fact, like the Leica Q has a continuous shooting. I've never, I've never used it except by accident, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't do that now. However, why would I use this feature? Mm-hmm. There are times when I'm looking for an image where I want depth, I want layers, I want a foreground, a middle, a background, and I want to use a shallow depth of field. If I'm, if everything's at a, a small aperture and everything's going to be sharp, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if I want a shallow depth of field, I may want to play with what plane that, that f- focus is going to be. And um, a lot of times in street photography, you don't have the opportunity to prepare. Things do happen quickly. And so I can imagine using it for that. Yeah. Um. I can certainly imagine playing with it. And I really look forward to hearing oh, yeah. your review when you do finally upgrade your firmware. I will. To, to I, will. I will. I will talk all is. about it.
0: I was. I was thinking. I was thinking more in the world of Don Komarechka and macro photography that this might. This might be really, really useful because you're, you know, you lock your camera down in a tripod or something, and you're trying to get that. That shot of a of a bee pollinating on a on a flower, and the bee is not really being cooperative with your focal plane. You know, you fire off one of these, you're going to get focus all the way from the front leaf through the B to
1: the back leaf, yeah, and then you, later uh,
0: you can harvest it. Come right?
1: on, you know you know, Don will never use this. <laughs> no, no, of course not. No, <laughs> course Don not. Don is going to... This gonna, is not Don, a Don feature. <laughs> yeah, he's going to have everything just, you know, perfect and know exactly how much each frame has to be shifted, all that. So, no. Exactly. I, I exactly. think this is for the person who... Who wants the opportunity, literally what it says, wants the opportunity to change the plane of focus uh, at a later time. And there might be a lot of opportunities. It's not the reason to buy one of these cameras, for sure. But again, how great that Panasonic is using the technology they have to throw these things in. You know, it doesn't cost anything. There's no extra hardware. It's just just code, right?
0: It's math. It's just math. So then that said, Doug, shift gears a little bit. Litro. So, the Lytro cameras, who, whose claim to fame was the shoot first Focus later. We've seen, obviously, they they, they released another version of the camera, a more pro version, the Illum. And then, who was it? I think it was Samsung that came out with a cell phone with Focus later capability and now we're seeing it here it's probably in a bunch of other places well and as the new well.
1: the new announcement for the light camera right oh the light the, camera the yeah light what am i camera, thinking right?
0: the, the bug eye multi-lens yeah, yeah. guy yeah it looks
1: like it looks like some bizarre um uh a uh, uh, planetarium projector you know with it all totally these different does. lenses on it
0: yep yep but you know i wonder so what in your opinion you've you've looked at the Lytro camera what what's what do you think of that technology now? Fast forward from when it first was first announced and now we're at the end of 2015. You think there's still a market for that camera?
1: Well, no, I, I always thought that the Lytro technology was more about the technology than real cameras. I mean, let's suppose I said to you that your GX8 could do this new feature that they're talking about, mm-hmm. but that's the only mode it worked in, right? Yeah. That it yeah. did. it did, you know, 4K video. Eight megapixel frames and had these great—you could do focus stacking or post post focusing and all that. But by the way, you couldn't do a sixteen or a twenty-four megapixel RAW file. You'd say, "Well, I don't want that." Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, you know restricted. that the Litro Litro was a very special purpose camera.
0: Yeah, interesting. But now this is know, this so- is this
1: has that functionality in what is a general purpose camera with all these bells and whistles in it. It's pretty nice. Yeah.
0: But, but just, you know, in the defense of Lytro, those guys are eggheads over there and this camera is approaching the problem differently. So, like I said, it's taking a series of images all with different points of focus that you can then select later and harvest out the one that you want with the correct focal plane. Um, What Lytro does is they employ a technology called light field technology, which is essentially If you know anything about the 3D world, it's kind of like ray tracing where it's looking at the entire scene and kind of mapping where light is bouncing and doing all this crazy math so that then later you can go back in and refocus the image. So, you know, maybe that's a brute force way to do it. And Panasonic's way is much more, you know, consumer friendly. It's just taking a bunch of photos that are, you know, that are focused differently and then letting you pick Um, two ways to get at a similar conclusion. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree with you on the, on the whole, I would not buy a GX8 that was a one trick pony, right? No. So, no. so, interesting, lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah, kudos to Panasonic um, for, for continuing to push the ball forward. And um, the, the 4k, you were talking about the 4k photo mode, and it being only eight megapixels per frame, it is, but w- the other piece of that is, I can't remember the last time that I printed something that was large, to be honest with you. I mean, last night I printed like 30 shots, but they all came from my little Instax printer. And I was handing those out to people. From this thing, the images would likely just end up online somewhere, you know, on Facebook. And if you go in knowing that when you engage this mode that, yeah, I'm not going to be creating these 20 megapixel images like the GX8 can offer, um, instead I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a little bit more limited. So these shots may just go to friends and family or whatever, then you, you know, you adjust accordingly. So it can't, can't have one thing that does everything.
1: Yeah. Let me, let me point out one of the things. So what's sure. your biggest Nikon camera? Uh,
0: D, uh, geez, what was it? D4, whatever. Okay.
1: I forgot. So what does your, what does your D4 do that it couldn't do when you bought it?
0: Uh, nothing. Right. It does exactly today what it could do the day that I bought it.
1: Okay. So let's take this update as an example that's coming out to the Lumix cameras. Yeah. You're buying a camera that will do more in the future than it does at the time you bought it. You're buying a platform. Right? Now, yeah. we're used to that from, from mobile phones. Mobile phones have apps, right?
0: hmm
1: Mirrorless cameras actually gain functionality over time. And that's something that's quite different. You know, my film cameras don't do that. They're taking the same damn film images they did then. Yeah. My Nikon's that I just sold, same thing. But mirrorless cameras, we again, we lump them into this concept of mirrorless. But they actually increase functionality over time if the manufacturer uh, updates the firmware.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. You'd be surprised, or at least I was surprised, at some of the things that they have control over in software, right? Because they. Within the software, they can profile the lens that's attached to the camera and correct for different characteristics for that particular lens and and do all kinds of crazy stuff that you have no idea that's even happening. You know, all this stuff happens before the image is even written to the card. And, you know, you just think you got a good shot that's not distorted in any way. But the camera automatically knew that this particular lens behaves in this way. So I better do these things to the image before it gets written to the card. That's right. Yeah, which goes back to our first story. If those kinds of edits and manipulations are happening in camera anyway, is it truly a JPEG that's not been altered? (laughs) It's not. It's already been altered. So it's a straw man argument to say Mm -hmm. just send me JPEG images because those are the source of truth. If you drop your camera in the forest, does it really take a picture? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I should have been a lawyer. Should have been a lawyer. All right, man. All right. We're going to jump on. God, This this hour is going quickly. Look, we're almost done with the show already. It feels like we just started. All right. uh, After this next break, I was going to say guys again. After this next break, we're going to talk about protesters at the University of Missouri that were blocking journalists from covering the story. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, You can invoice clients, it's easy, you can do it in seconds, and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports, you can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble so grab some popcorn learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars i'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com/twip, enter the code This Week in Photo or twip in the How did you hear about us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com/twip and enter twip in the How did you hear about us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, Doug. uh, Story number three is about the University of Missouri, that they had some students that were blocking journalists from covering the story. So this comes to us from the New York Times. So let me read this little blurb. A video that showed University of Missouri protesters restricting a student photographer's access to a public area of campus on Monday, um, I guess this was a couple of Mondays back, has ignited discussions about press freedom. Tim Tai, a student photographer on freelance assignment for ESPN, was trying to take photos of a small tent city that protesters had created on a campus quad concerned about Student 1950, an activist group that had formed to push for increased awareness and action around racial issues on campus, did not want reporters near the encampment. So protesters blocked Mr. Tai's view and argued with him, eventually pushing him away. At one point, they chanted, quote, Hey, hey, ho, ho. Reporters have got to go. So Mr. Tai told them, I'm documenting this for a national news organization. And he said, this is my First Amendment right to, you know, and it protects um, my right to be here and, and your right to be here as well. So the protesters were acu- were accusing him of acting unethically and disregarding their requests for privacy, Um and then one protester said, "What's so hard about re- re- about respecting our wishes?" And he said, "Because I have a job to do." Mr. Ty said, and that elicited a retort, "We don't care about your job." Doug K. Who's right? Who's wrong? I'm going to have to side on the side of the photographer in this one. Sorry, but if he's there doing a the job and the right to privacy there on a on a on a campus in a quad, it, it, was it written somewhere that said you have privacy rights here and that photographers are no longer allowed to record light rays bouncing off of your person when you're here (laughs) like what
1: i don't know what do you think they should have put up a tent of invisibility
0: (laughs) exactly or mirrors put mirrors around if you don't want us recording what's happening in there reflect ourselves back on us
1: yeah i'm I'm not a lawyer but legally i can tell you this is a no-brainer yeah and uh i think every i mean Anybody who's listened to TWIP for more than six months knows this because something, some first amendment story comes up all the time, right? But no, I mean, uh, there are so many subtleties here. First of all, the photographer had every legal right to photograph these people in the quad. Yeah. Uh, There's no question about that. Uh, There are two aspects of it. One that wasn't in the summary there, but I read the article. There was a, a a professor who was part of this demonstration, who was a professor of communications. And she apparently was one of those who didn't want him taking pictures and thought that she could keep him from doing so. And that was like, that's weird. I mean, what is what do you study in communications if it doesn't include First Amendment issues? Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, you're demonstrating for a cause you're trying to attract attention, and you don't want someone to take pictures. <gasps> I need of you. To think about that. <laughs> you know, like you don't want press coverage. I mean, yeah. you know, this is—is this—is this like a secret protest? It's <laughs> like we would like our tree to
0: fall in the forest and not make a sound, please. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I you know, I, there's not much debate on this one. It's just a bizarre story, isn't it?
0: It is. It is bizarre. Yeah, and you're right. There's there's no debate on this. I mean, aside from all the you know, the, the politics around the story itself, this we're focusing specifically on Mr. Ty and his being blocked to take photos. So, you know, we're not talking about the whole 1950 thing or any of that stuff. We're talking about the right of this photographer to go in there and document what's happening there. And this is kind of an, this was an important event. It continues to be an important event that, that happens there. You're right. I mean, the whole point of being a photojournalist is to capture what's happening to share it with people that can't be there and that may not have heard about the story. So, you know, I would question what the, what the school is teaching these students. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, they're like, let's have a protest and keep it to ourselves. You know, yeah. it's, come on, dude. I mean,
1: the concept is simple and it's, you know, anything that's going on in a, that's going on in a public space that can be observed from a, from a public space can be photographed. Yeah. Um, and You know, there's some famous cases. We could go into some of the remarkable cases like the guy who, you know, photographed his neighbors across the street in Mm -hmm. in their apartment. Remember that one?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and made the the art installation and and sold them. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and won his case, right? So there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of stories about there. But the, the basic thing is if you're on the street doing something, someone can photograph you. If they can see you in a public place, they can photograph you. It's that simple. Now, this is, let's say one thing. We're talking about U.S. law here. Mm-hmm. and yep. this may be very different in other countries in fact i'm sure there are countries where it's not the same yeah we happen to have like
0: standing standing in south korea taking pictures of north korea probably is not gonna
1: not gonna fly too far yeah, right it's it, it's perfectly fine until the bullet hits you exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe you fly. think twice you know so yeah. so we we have a very maybe unique thing here in the u.s uh but that's the way it is, and um, you know the, where it gets where it gets complicated tends to be with people photographing, obviously on private property. People photographing police, where the police may not even know what the First Amendment rules are. Mm-hmm. And now with terrorism stuff going on, people being prohibited f- from photographing in airports and in government buildings and things mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. it gets complicated at the fringes, but something this straightforward is really cut and dry here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and I wonder, you know, with all the with all the the horrific events that that happened recently in Paris, I wonder how those events will impact photographers that are going over there not to necessarily document, you know, things in and around that event site, but I wonder if French authorities are going to increase restrictions restrictions on photographers that just want to get in there, like Valerie, for example, and roam around the city taking photos of different things. I wonder if there's, yeah. there's going to be any backlash.
1: Well, the thing that I have encountered is that as a photographer, and this, this, you know, you have to scratch your head over this at first, and then you think about it, it makes more sense. But there are times when you're photographing something and someone is suspicious of you as a photographer. they are saying, yeah why are you photographing airplanes at the airport? Do you plan to I mean, blow one up? Right, you know? Right. And so, you know, so suddenly you're, you're in a position of a, of a photography as being, you know, assumed to be guilty of something right? as opposed to, it's not just a matter of rights. It's a matter of, are you some kind of bad guy because you're photographing something? And that's an interesting position to be in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is true. I mean, it's, call it call it heightened awareness or paranoia I don't know you're splitting splitting split hairs with that so. That's right Who knows scary 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 All right like let's move on to the uh, listener Q&A section of the show this is when you know what this is answer <laughs> <laughs> This is where you we get to answer a question that's come in from the listeners this one's from Chris Fisher and Chris says I've been tossing around the idea of moving into a micro four thirds camera, specifically the Olympus OM-D E-M10 II. My dilemma is that I have a heavy investment in my Canon camera. Also with a heavy investment, I don't really see spending or investing in a new line of camera and lenses i think he's answering his own question <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I want to move to Micro four thirds but i don't want to pay for it so, <laughs> and he goes on to say i would really i would like to switch but not sure what i will gain by doing so and then his second question is to switch uh i may need to sell my current gear to get funds together how can a person sell their gear does it make sense to sell the gear and switch doug Take the first one first. He oh. he wants to move in. He's got a heavy investment in Canon in cameras, but he doesn't want to invest in a new camera and lenses. But he wants to try micro four thirds. How does he what what's he doing? Well,
1: I you, you said it right. He's answering his own question. He has <laughs> yeah. a heavy investment, he doesn't want to spend the money. Okay. Stay put. Keep your camera done. Keep
0: your camera. <laughs> or no.
1: or you could split the difference. You could rent from borrow lenses. You could rent, rent from borough lenses, but rent a mirrorless but, camera. But, but why? I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't in his question given us this, Chris, nothing personal, so don't take it that way, but there's nothing in what he wrote that gives me any reason why he does want to shift. Yeah. He says, I want to, I'd like to go into the uh, OM-D E-M10 Mark II, but, but why? He hasn't said right. that. So right, right. if you got Canon gear, you've got a lot of it, you like it, you know, the E-M10 Mark II is a great little camera, but you know. You know that's that's like getting a divorce. You know,
0: yeah, it is. <laughs> you know yeah. that
1: that's a big thing. I mean, yeah, I imagine this thing. guy with a half a dozen lenses and you know at least one body. And I'm thinking, I don't know. So yeah, so I'm sorry. As much as I like the EM10 Mark II, Chris, I'm not going to talk you into that.
0: I would have to agree with you, Doug. And you got to consider when moving from one platform to another, whatever it is, whether it's switching from Mac to Windows or Android to iOS or vice versa there's switching costs involved with it. You know, there's hardware and then there's all your investment in software on these platforms. And in the case of cameras, it's the lenses and the strobes that you buy that may only work with that particular body. And if you did go mirrorless and you decide to get an adapter for that Canon camera to use micro four thirds lenses, you lose the autofocus and all that stuff. So, if you don't have a compelling reason to move to Micro Four Thirds or you're not you're not using some archaic system that's on its last legs and you're like, you know, I'm ready to make a switch wholeheartedly into this new system and you're still making great photos with your Canon, just keep the Canon, keep rolling, you know, keep shooting. The most important thing is to take photos. And if you really want to try out Micro Four Thirds or that OMD em E-M10 II, rent it for a weekend and just play around with it and see if you fall in love with it. You may... You know, you know, cheat cheat on your Canon with this hot new mirrorless camera and you may fall in love with the mirrorless camera and file for a divorce from the Canon camera. I'm just
1: saying, yeah. you know. on, on the other hand, the EM10 Mark II is a relatively low cost micro four thirds camera. And forgive me, I don't remember exactly, but I seem to recall Gordon telling us that the kit lens is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So you could always go out and buy that as something in addition your Canon gear, if you're yeah. so financially inclined. Well, um, but remember his second
0: question: to switch, I may dis- I may need to sell my current gear to get the funds together. Doesn't yeah. sound like he's got extra funds laying around to start investing in yet another system.
1: Yeah, it's, it's you know the question is what's the extent of your disposable income, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because there's disposable income and then there's disposable income, right? So, you know, he didn't say, I've got $7,000 to drop right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I want to answer his question about selling used gear. I used to, I buy and sell a lot of gear. And I used to sell, Mm -hmm. I used to buy and sell most of my stuff on eBay. eBay Mm -hmm. is a place where you can buy gear at a pretty good price if you pay attention and you study what the prices are like and likewise you can sell at a high price because it's an auction but recently i've switched to selling on amazon ebay the problem with ebay for me is that after the sale you have a lot to do you have to ship it you have to maybe deal with returns or problems when you sell on amazon it's much simpler what i do is I package up my used gear and I ship it to Amazon and it goes into Amazon's warehouse and I set the price and all that and when someone goes to buy they look at the listing of used gear and they see my items there and because it's in Amazon's warehouse it says fulfilled by Amazon that means that someone with a prime account for example can click on it they can get it in two days they can get it with free shipping uh, and it's it's much easier for them. That means I can sell it at a higher price. Yeah. It also means that if I'm traveling and if I'm out of town, I don't have to be there when the transaction occurs. I can leave it in inventory. I can let the price stay where it is and just wait and see it. And it sells when it sells. I just don't have to be around. And unless there's a return, even then I don't usually have to be part of that transaction. So I've switched from eBay to selling on Amazon. Now I do a lot of my buying still on eBay uh, because I'm going for good prices and I spend a lot of time really understanding the mechanics of eBay and how things are priced and who the good vendors are and so forth. But um, Amazon Prime and fulfilled by Amazon makes it really attractive to sell used gear on Amazon.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you because the – I do the same thing, you know, and I've had a similar experience with with selling on eBay. And I'm, you know, I'm somewhat ashamed to say that I even got scammed once about 10 years ago on eBay. And that kind of turned me off. You know, it was back in the back in the before it was mainstream to know about these scammers and how they would just do these stupid things. And and I, I got suckered in. I think I lost like 200 bucks or something to one of these guys. And from that point forward, I've been like, you know what? Every t- I think I put stuff on eBay a couple of times since then. And every time you, I was drawing all these idiots that were like, hey, can we take this conversation offline outside of eBay? And I want to give you three times what your product is worth, but you guys ship it to me first. And you know, <laughs> I was just like, you know what? And then I tried Amazon, which was the most pain-free experience I've I've experienced selling anything online. And since then I've sold... I've sold libraries of my own books, my old books and camera gear and old computers, all that stuff. You just set them up there and and it works very well. And And what I love
1: is that once I Uh, ship it it out of here, it's, I don't have to worry about it. I set the price and if I want to set a high price, I do that. I keep my eye on it and I just keep bringing the price down. There's enough turnover on Amazon that things will sell pretty quickly.
0: Love it, love it, cool. Well, uh, Chris, I hope that answered your questions. Um, I think we did a good job on that one. Yeah. So yeah, stay with your Canon if you if you're or you don't money. really have a compelling reason to switch to Micro Four Thirds. If or you know, yeah exactly or just I mean the other the other answer to his question is if you're thinking about switching don't, don't just don't tiptoe into the water, just dive in, right? (laughs) Just, Just dive in. It's an awesome system. You know, if you're notwithstanding the kind of photography that you're doing. So if you're doing sports and all that stuff, then stick with your Canon, obviously. But if you're doing something that micro four thirds is ideally suited for, just jump in, sell your other stuff, jump in, who cares what system you get, you know, just, just start playing. And, you know, for me, it changed my perspective, perspective on photographers and rejuvenated my love for photography in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. We, we, Chris also didn't tell us what he shoots and that can make a big difference. If he's shooting nature, for example, and wants a 600 millimeter lens, there's, there's now, there is one, there's now a 300 millimeter out. Yeah. I
0: have that. Yeah. But,
1: um, in general, yeah. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. So if you're shooting or fast moving sports and things like that, yeah, then you want to stick with there with the mighty DSLR for that kind of stuff. But for many other things, the micro four thirds will do just fine. All right, folks, if you have a question you'd like us to tackle on the show, just visit us at thisweekinphoto.com and click on that submit a question link to send us a question or leave us a voice message. All right, Doug, let's do the picks of the week segment. You know what this is. You can pick something to recommend to the audience. I think I'll let you go first, Doug, which what is your pick of the week.
1: (laughs) You know, this, this is something that I have wanted to be my pick of the week for months and months and months. And now I can say it's available. Cartier-Bresson, Henri Cartier-Bresson wrote, uh, uh, wrote and photographed for a book called The Decisive Moment, uh, a classic for all photography and sort of the Bible for street photography, if you will. It has been out of print for years, used copies were going for three and $400 and it has finally been reprinted by Steidl in uh, Germany. And it's uh, it costs, I think 98 euros include shipping even to the U S so it's, what is that? About $115, something like that. And, uh, and it's the original book. It's got all the photographs. It's got Cartier-Bresson's text. It comes in a nice case uh, and it includes um, a, uh, a separate little pamphlet that talks about Cartier-Bresson in the book. So if you're interested in street photography and you want this kind of thing, if you're looking at the video, there it is. There it is. And right there. Uh, I, I recommend it highly. It's just, it is a classic of photography because of course, Cartier-Bresson is the guy who put the Leica camera pretty much on the map back yeah. in, I think it was the 30s. So anyway, that's my pick of the week, 98 euros, including shipping.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think that is a must to have in any photographer's library. I know Valerie's going to order this if she doesn't have it already. So cool. I was,
1: I was actually going to their website almost every day checking, is it available? Is it available? Because it kept said, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I finally got mine. So
0: Oh, uh, okay. I'm going to have to order
1: that. All right. Very good pick, what's your, Doug. What's yours? my pick is
0: from our friends over at mac fun it's a piece of software that they worked on in collaboration with another friend of twip mr trey radcliffe called aurora hdr they've got aurora hdr and aurora hdr pro and what this thing does it is it is obviously it's an hdr processing program but it's much more it's like they're, they're positioning it as this is all you need to create a, a start-to-finish HDR file without ever going into Photoshop or Lightroom or anything like that. You drop images on it or even a single image, and it's, it's a professional kind of Lightroom-esque user interface that you go in. You can assi- a, apply presets. You can do masking. You can do layers. It, it, it's just crazy. They've got presets from tray in there. And I assume they're going to be adding other presets from other photographers into the application. It is really, really cool. I'm playing with it for a couple of days and I'm going to use it on this next trip and see if I can't get some good results out of it. But it's really interesting that, uh, that, that these companies are coming out with these world-class applications that do that focus and kind of burn a hole on one genre, like, you know, auto eight, like this HDR feature. So now in the, in the past, and currently, there's a company um, called HDRsoft that does Photomatics, And Photomatics is an awesome piece of software as well. In fact, I would put Photomatics up there as the company that gave Trey, kind of gave Trey his start in HDR. It's the software that he uses in his, in his tutorials on Stuck in Customs. It is the, in a lot of ways, the de facto HDR processing application for professionals. And it's available on Mac and Windows. I think Aurora currently is only on the Mac. Um, but the, the two together, it's, it's almost like, you know, you can, you can get a lot, if not mostly all of what you want to get done in Aurora, but when you want more bells and whistles and more dials, and you want to get down to minutia and, and all that stuff, then there's this heavyweight HDR soft photomatics application, which is kind of the granddaddy of, uh, HDR. So.
1: It's pretty cool. Have you have you seen this app yet, Doug? I've seen the results on on Trey's blog, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm particularly impressed with some of the HDR images that very, look very natural. That don't have that HDR look, but have yeah. they've got the technical aspects of HDR. And I, I'm glad to see that the uh, uh, MacFun app now handles that. So that's good. Yeah,
0: yeah, looks cool. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the in the show notes, or you can just head over to MacFun's website: m a c p h u n. And uh, I'm sure they've got it plastered after all, all over Trey, the website.
1: Trey is Mr. HDR. So if it's Literally. something, tr- something yep. Trey's involved with in it, HDR, it's probably worth looking at.
0: Absolutely. All right, Doug, we're at the end of the show. Before we uh, before we turn the lights off for this episode, what do you have coming up now? Don't tell, tell me you're going back to Cuba again. I'm, I'm going back to Cuba. I, just, I told I you not just, to tell
1: me that. <laughs> yeah, I was in Cuba a week ago, and I've got another workshop with another 10 students January 7th through... 17th i think uh so i'll be there in january and uh, that's that's it it's uh it's cuba season
0: it's cuba season i'm gonna I'm, i keep threatening one of these days i'm gonna join you and uh carry your bags on one of these trips man you will love it I. Uh, you know i i've never been to cuba so i'm sure i will
1: it's only cool. 90 miles from key west
0: wow yeah interesting it's really close uh, you tease teasing me <laughs> all right uh my, I've been saying this on the show for weeks that uh, what I have coming up is obviously this Vietnam trip What I'm that I'm very much looking forward to. In fact, I'm taking off in scant days from now. This is Monday, November 23rd. As we record this, I am on a plane right after we finish eating turkey the night of Thanksgiving. So I'm jumping on a plane that night and I'm off to boldly go where no Johnson has gone before. And that's Vietnam. So looking forward to that. Um, And while I'm gone, some gracious and generous people have decided to have have agreed to host the show for me in my absence, since I'll be gone, I'll be off for the next three consecutive consecutive episodes of TWIP. So we've got Joseph Lanaski hosting one episode. We've got uh, Martin Bailey hosting one episode, and we've got Jenny Stein from Twip family mm. hosting an episode. So it's gonna be really, really, really good. i'm I'm excited to have those guys doing it and also to breathe a breath of fresh air into Twip while I'm breathing fresh air in another country. <laughs> so should be good. All right, Doug, we are at the end of this episode. I want to thank our sponsors for their support of this show. And uh be sure to visit thisweekinphoto.com to check out what we're up to. Doug, what's your website again that people can go to check your stuff out?
1: Just go to DougK.com. It's that easy. K-A-Y-E.com. com.
0: K.com. All right. And with that, folks, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs>
1: And photo is a pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.